Come on, somebody. If you're thankful that Jesus is alive, can we give him some praise in this place? He deserves it. It is Easter Sunday, and we are rejoicing that we serve a God that died but didn't stay dead. That three days later, he rose again. You know we have the only God that can say that. There's been a lot of individuals and religions that claim that their God is the God, but only our God um, conquered death, hell, and the grave. And so we have something to celebrate today. How many excited to be here, excited to be in this place? I know God's got great things for you right now. I hope you came expecting. I know some of you are expecting the ham you're about to eat after service, uh, sweet potatoes. I don't know how you get down. I get down. I'm like, I think I'm from the South, man. I love sweet tea, sweet potatoes, anything sweet. That's how I'd roll. I don't know about y'all. But, hey, today the title of my message is Evidence. Everybody say Evidence. I want to share real short with you from this passage that was just read on the screen for us from Luke chapter 24. But my kids, uh, they, they love basketball. My boys love basketball. And this is because I love basketball, right? Like I, I'm always watching it. I'm always playing it. So now I have them playing. They go in the driveway every day and shoot around. And um, I have passed this love onto them. But we often watch games. And recently, my, my boys were watching with me, and one of them said, Dad, how come you're not on the TV? How come you're not playing like those guys? Like, and one of them actually said, I want to see you out there. I said, well, boys, let me tell you about it. Like, I had a devastating injury. No, I didn't lie. I was like, your pops wasn't good enough, right? It just it wasn't meant to happen. But then they said, but, Dad, didn't you play in college and I said, yeah, I did play in college. And they're like, well, prove it. I was like, what do you mean prove it? They're like, prove it. We want to see something. Like, did you ever win anything? We want to see. You got to prove it to us that you won or that you played. And so actually, I didn't want to brag, but I was like, I am a two-time national champion. And so I said, let's go upstairs and I'll show you my rings. They said, you have rings? I said, I have rings. So we went upstairs. I hadn't pulled them out in years, y'all. And so I opened up my shoe box and pulled out my rings, and I showed them my rings, and they're big and gaudy, and they were so impressed. In that moment, I became their hero. Like, our dad is a national champion. He has rings. They're telling all their friends, my dad has rings. Now, I didn't tell them that it was the NCCAA, the National Christian Athletic Association National Championship, two-time. I didn't tell them that. I just told them I'm a national champion. That's all they need to know. But, man, a lot of us are like them. We just need, we need evidence. You got to prove it to me. I'm a cynical person, naturally skeptical person. In fact, my wife gets annoyed with me because every time she tells me something, I'm like, Prove it. I got to go on Google and Google search this. I don't take anything she says uh, as word. Anybody like me, you're just skeptical. You question your spouse. You question the, you, you could be talking to someone with a doctorate and they tell you something like, I don't believe it. I got to search it for myself, right? A lot of us are this way. Let me give you the definition of evidence. Evidence by defini definition is the available information indicating whether a belief or proposition is true or valid. Something that makes plain or clear, an indication or sign, that which tends to prove or disprove something. And so today I want to talk to you about this idea of evidence. Now this story is one of two individuals named Cleopas, and we do not know the name of the other individual. 
These two individuals saw Jesus killed. They saw him put to death. They saw him buried and put in a grave. And then three days later, they decide that they're going to travel back home because their hope is gone. They think that Jesus is dead, it's over, there's nothing else happening. They thought he was the the Savior, they thought he was the Messiah, but they walk desperate, discouraged, downtrodden, and hopeless back to, it says, a town or actually a village called Emmaus. This is the story of the Emmaus Road, where these two individuals travel from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. The Bible tells us it was a seven-mile journey. And I want to talk to you about evidence because I believe God is wanting to speak to us about the evidence that we can see actually through our own lives. That there is evidence, and not only that, but that we are now evidence that Jesus is alive. I am evidence. You are evidence. Those of us that know Jesus as our Savior are evidence that he is who he said he is. Now, a few years back, I was actually in Africa. We partnered with an organization called Children's Hope Chest here at Project Church. We actually support 89 different children as a church, which is why I love our church. We support them monthly, and uh, we're sponsoring them. We're actually doing that in Guatemala, but I had the opportunity to see what they were doing in Africa, so I went to Kenya. I was in Kenya a couple years ago, and I FaceTimed my kids from Kenya. And I don't know what day it was. I think it was like Saturday or Friday, somewhere in there. And um, I FaceTimed my kids, and it was morning. In Kenya, and so I'm, I'm showing them like the outside, and I'm showing them where I'm staying, and I'm showing them, man, this is what Africa looks like, this is what Kenya looks like. I'm showing it, and the sun's out, but it freaked them out because here it was Friday morning there, but it was Thursday night here, so it was nighttime. They're about to go to bed, and they're like, Dad, how is it daytime? It's nighttime here. And they were like freaked out. And then I had to explain to them this idea of like the international dateline and, and how they, you know, um, I'm actually several hours ahead. And so I'm explaining all this to them. And I said, boys, I'm actually talking to you from tomorrow. I'm speaking to you from tomorrow. And so we talked and they thought that was the coolest thing. And they were like, dad, tell us what happens tomorrow. And I was like, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you, your dad is in tomorrow. But I want to say that to you because I want you to hear that a lot of us are in situations and circumstances. And we wonder why God isn't intervening or moving the way we want him to move. And I'm here to tell you, some of you are saying, see, God isn't real. This is evidence that God doesn't exist. Because he has not come in when I've got knocked down. He has not intervened when I've gone through a situation. But I want to tell you that you have a God that doesn't speak to you from your today. He speaks to you from tomorrow. We serve a God that doesn't see things or exist in time the way we exist in time. He's not stuck in time the way we're stuck in time. We have a God that sees our tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the end of our life. And so when he waits and when he doesn't move the way we want him to move, we got to trust him because he doesn't speak to us from our today. He speaks to us from our tomorrow. We serve a God outside of time. He exists outside of time. He's not bound the same way we are. And so I want to encourage you today, don't let that idea that, man, God didn't come in, he didn't move. When I asked him to move, be evidence that he isn't alive because what he may be waiting on or what you may be waiting on or what he has withheld from you may actually be a blessing in disguise. 
You don't know. Some of you think that breakup was actually a curse from God. It may be a blessing in disguise. That was not the man that was meant for you. That was not the woman that was meant for you. God sees your tomorrow, doesn't he? He sees your next year. He sees all the way to the end of your life. And I want to encourage you today that you wouldn't let that be evidence against God, but that would be evidence for God, that God knows what's best for you. Because let me tell you, I've lived some years, y'all. I know I look so young. But I've lived some years, and I've seen God not move the way I thought he should move. And I've seen God tell me to wait when I didn't want to wait. And I've watched that he was right every single time. I've watched when his faithfulness came full circle, and it didn't happen on my timeline, but God's timing is always better than our timing. You see, a lot of people in here could testify of the evidence of God in their life. A lot of people could tell you about the time God didn't give them what they asked for, but he gave them what they needed. When God didn't answer a prayer that day, but he answered it a few years later, and the waiting was worth it. And the waiting was perfect. And the waiting is proof and evidence of who God is. So here's what I want to do today. I believe that in order to establish evidence, you have to ask the right questions. Did you know that? You've got to ask the right questions. And so what I want to do today, I want to look at three questions that we're going to ask that prove that there's evidence that you need Jesus. Now I'm not just saying you, I'm saying me too. We need Jesus. Every person in this room needs Jesus. Whether you realize it or not, some of you are like, I'm just here because somebody brought me. I'm just here because somebody drugged me. I'm just here because I'm about to, to eat after this. And mom said, you're coming to church with me if you're going to eat my lunch. And so I came. But I want to tell you that there is truth and evidence that you need Jesus. I want to ask these three questions. First today is do you know where you're going? Everybody look at your neighbor and say, do you know where you're going? Ask them. Ask them the question. Look at your neighbor. Okay, now look at your second choice and ask them too. Do you know where you're going? Do you know where you're going? Ask them that question. So my wife and I, this year we got Disneyland season passes. We are annual passport holders. Any Disney people in the house? I've never been a Disney person. I actually thought the Disney people were weird, and then I got annual passes, and now I'm down. I'm one of them. Like, give me some Mickey ears. I'm ready to go. When you have kids, it changes everything. And so we try to go every couple months now because we have passes. And uh, about a month and a half ago, we went on a Disney trip. We had a little three-day trip planned. It was real quick, two nights. And the last day, I actually told my wife, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Disney till 7 p.m., and then we're going to get in the car and drive straight home, straight home. Bad idea after three days at Disney. We were exhausted. I'm literally driving home. My wife slept for like four hours of the trip. My kids were asleep the entire way. So I'm driving with music and Red Bull and coffee and sunflower seeds. I'm literally slapping myself like at points in the drive. You ever been there? You feel me? And we're about two hours out. It's midnight. So we're supposed to arrive at 2 a.m. And I am struggling, struggling. And my wife wakes up finally. Oh, and she's so awake and happy. And oh, honey, would you like me to drive for this last two hours? And I've never, I rarely let, like, have her drive, but I'm like, you know what? Yes, I'm about to fall asleep. I don't want to kill us. So, uh, yes, you drive. And so I pull over. We switch. I, I fall asleep in literally, like, 60 seconds. I was that tired, like, Well, about 
45 minutes later, I'm awakened because the GPS is going crazy. I don't know if you ever experienced, but the GPS is like, U-turn, U-turn, rerouting, U-turn, rerouting. And it's just like going crazy. And it was so wild that it woke me up from a dead sleep. And I wake up and I'm like, what is happening? Where are we? She's like, I, I don't know. I think I went the wrong way. I look around. I pull up my map. We are in Union City. I had, no joke, five minutes after I'd fallen asleep, we are on, you ever been up five? There's this part on the five where it actually, it's almost, it almost looks like an exit to stay on five, but the rest of the freeway goes to the left and it takes you to the bay. We are in the East Bay. And I wake up and I'm like, are you kidding me? I let you drive for 30 minutes and you take us in the complete wrong direction. So I literally like pull over. I make her get out. I switch seats with her. I'm like, I'm driving the rest of the way. I went off on my wife, y'all. I had to repent afterwards. I asked for her forgiveness. But you know, when you wake up, you're a little grumpy. We got in at 3 a.m. instead of 2 a.m. But I, I tell you this to say some of you are asleep and you're headed in the wrong way. You're headed in the wrong direction. Some of you actually, you're awake, but you wanted control of the steering wheel. You said, I will take the wheel, not Jesus take the wheel, Carrie Underwood. And so you got a hold of that steering wheel and you're like, I know what's best. I know where I'm going. I'm headed in this direction. And I want to tell you, you don't know what is best, but Jesus does. If you're going to live the life that God has meant you to live, you got to let Jesus take the wheel. You got to let him be your GPS. You got to let him be your guidance system. Do you know where you're going? You see, some of you are headed to Emmaus, even though the resurrection happened in Jerusalem. Some of us are headed in the complete opposite direction of where the resurrection has happened. We are trying to take the wheel. We think we know what's best. We're guiding ourselves. Maybe we're even asleep at the wheel. We're just letting life go. I'm just going to let life take me where it will. Just let the wind blow me wherever it wants to blow me. No, let Jesus guide you. Let him lead you. Let him take the wheel of your life. You know what I love about Jesus? Is he actually would take the time to walk in the complete wrong direction with you. I don't know if you paid attention when this was playing on the screen, but the story is Cleopas and this other unnamed individual are walking seven miles in the wrong direction to a village called Emmaus. And Jesus happens upon them, not by accident, and starts to ask them questions. He says, well, who is this you're talking about? Here's them talking about someone, this possible Messiah. Who is this you're talking about? Like, have you not heard? And for seven miles they walk and Jesus actually teaches them from the scriptures and tells them, did you not know that the, the, that the prophets talked about this person that was to come and that he was going to have to die and, and he would die a painful death, but then he would come back to life. And he's explaining to them and he's teaching them, you see, Jesus loves us so much that he leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's what the Bible tells us. And some of you are in this place, you've been running from God, you've been trying to do things your way, 
You've been trying to lead your own life. You've had a hold of your steering wheel so tight. And you've been going in the wrong direction. And Jesus has pursued you right now to this very moment in history in this theater at the crest. Because he wanted you to know that he would leave the 99 for the one. For you. Because that's how great his love is. He's pursuing us. He's pursuing you. That's the God that we serve. A God that loves. You see, God can give us the answers. But he may need to correct some of our questions. I think a lot of time we're asking the wrong questions. We want evidence, but we're asking the wrong questions. And here he actually corrects the question that Cleopas is asking. He corrects the question. Some of you are looking for the evidence, but you're asking the wrong questions. And I want to say this to you. Until you recognize that you are a sinner, you won't be able to recognize that you need a Savior. Did you hear me? Until you recognize that you are a sinner, you won't recognize that you need a Savior. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person in this room has sinned. I know some of you people have said to me, well, I'm a good person. doesn't matter. The Bible actually says there's no one good. No, not one. None of us are good. We try to be good. We work so hard at being good. And we might say, well, I'm better than they are. I'm better than he is. I'm better than she is. I haven't done what they've done. And yet we still have sin. I wake up every day and I say, God, help me to live like you. And then I go about my day and I sin. And every day I say, thank you, God, that you love me enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, because I so desperately need a Savior. Every person in this room needs a Savior. But you have to recognize that you're a sinner first. A sinner, and we are sinners saved by grace. It's a gift of God. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. He gives it because of his love. So I want to ask you, do you know where you're going? Do you know where you're going in your life right now? Do you know where you're going when this life ends? Second question today is, do you believe? Everybody say believe. Do you believe that there's more to life than living and working a 9 to 5 job or 8 to 5? Taking home a paycheck, putting enough money in retirement that one day you can go live your life on a beach until this life ends and you go into nothingness. See, a lot of people are living their life that way. Their whole purpose is make money, retire, hang out on a beach, maybe golf a bunch. I mean, I'm down with that. I love the golf. But golf a bunch and then die and disappear. But I'm here to tell you that the Bible tells us clearly that this life is a mist in the grandness of eternity. That we're a blip, this is a blip on the radar of the vastness of eternity. And we're not going to just live this life and end. We're going to live this life and then live on and on and on. The question is, where are we going to live? Not only that, but do you believe that you have a purpose while you're here on this earth? Too many people are living life on this planet with no purpose. Or their only purpose is to fill their bank account. Their only purpose is to get something for them. And I'm here to tell you, God has created you for more than that. 
He's created you for a greater purpose. He wants you here to be his hands and feet. He wants you here to be worship unto him. He wants you here to be a blessing. He wants you here to serve other people. Do we believe that we're here for more than just ourselves? Because when you get to know Jesus, he shows you that there's more to this life than just you. There's more of a call in your life than just serving yourself. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. Not only that, but I want to ask you, do you carry pain? How many know life will kick you in the teeth? Life will knock the wind out of you at times. I don't know if you've ever been knocked down. I've been knocked down by life. Pain is real. But when you know Jesus, when you have a relationship with Jesus, nothing is wasted. Did you know that? Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. So whatever pain you've been through, whatever pain you have in your past, whatever struggle you've walked through, whatever defeat you've had in your life, I want to tell you right now, when you know Jesus, you can believe that there is a plan and a purpose to the pain. That God will redeem and use that which you've walked through. That is the best way to live. You may not see it right now, but I'm here to tell you, he's going to take what hurt you. He's going to take what beat you. He's going to take what you felt like defeated you, and he's going to use it for his glory and his purposes and his victory. That's the way to live. That every pain has a purpose. That every struggle is just a setup for God to do something greater. When you believe that way, you live differently, don't you? When you believe that way, nothing can, can destroy your hope. Nothing can destroy your future because you know that God's going to use it. God's going to redeem it. So my son, he's, uh, he's six. And the other day I walked into his room and he was just laying there like staring at the ceiling. And uh, I don't know, you know, how old your kids are if you have kids, but the, all, all your kids are different. All my kids are so uniquely different. But my six-year-old, he, he's always thinking and processing. and He's really like deep thinker. So I saw him just, he's just staring. He's got his hands up behind his head, which anytime you see a little kid with his hands behind their head, it's like the cutest thing ever. He's got his hands behind his head. I'm like, dude, wh what are you doing? He's like, I'm thinking, Dad. I'm like, okay. What are you thinking about? He said, I was just thinking that. What if God isn't real? I was like, okay, let's go. I'm a pastor. I'm ready for this. You're thinking that God isn't real. I said, well, well, why do you say that? Why would you say that you're worried or thinking that God isn't real? He said, because I don't hear him. He's never talked to me. He said, Dad, I don't know him. That's what he said. And so it was one of these moments where I'm like, okay, thankfully, I knew the best way to answer it because I know about what he does know. I said, Canaan, well, tell me about Jesus. I said, what do you know about Jesus? He says, well, I know that Jesus is the son of God. I know that he came down as a baby. He said, I know he lived a perfect life. Way to go, Project Kids. They're teaching them. He said, I know that he died on the cross for my sins. And I know that he loved people. I know he told us to love our enemies. He's telling me all these things about Jesus. All these things that he's learned about Jesus. I said, let me tell you something, Canaan. You can know God because you know Jesus. 
The Bible tells us that we know the heart of God, the character of God, the spirit of God, the love of God, because we know Jesus. Because we have stories about the, the person of Jesus, about the walk of Jesus, about the life of Jesus. We can know God because we know his son. Because he came and he was a real person that lived on this world 2,000 years ago and paid the ultimate price for you and for me. I said, you know God, Canaan, because you know Jesus. And I, I wasn't yelling like that, but, but I was telling. And he said, Dad, I think I get it. He said, I still want to hear him, though. I said, Canaan, keep asking. Eventually you'll hear him. Keep asking. Eventually you'll hear him. And I think that some of you in this place, you're like, I don't believe. I've never heard God. Some of you are like Canaan, I've never seen God. I didn't touch the scars in Jesus' hands. I didn't see him come back from the dead. I didn't see him on that cross. I've never heard God's voice audibly. I've never experienced the presence of God in my life. And I'm here to tell you, we can know God because we know Jesus. The Bible gives us so much about the character and the person and the heart of Jesus, about the life that Jesus lived. There are countless uh, people and testimonies that, that confirm that Jesus lived on this earth. Historians agree that Jesus Jesus lived on this earth. I'm here to tell you, if you know Jesus, you know God. If you know the heart of Jesus, you know the heart of God. And I want to challenge you today. I want to ask you that you would believe. Believe in the God that loves you. That loved you so much that he sent his son for you. Third and finally today, I want to ask you, do you have hope? Everybody say hope. Do you have hope? Hope for a future. Hope that there's more to come after this life? Do you have hope for what it is that God wants to do in you and through you and for your eternity? Because I know that there's some people that walked in this place hopeless. You walked in this place defeated. Here's what it says in verse 21 of this passage. It says, but we, somebody read that, had hoped. It says, but we, but we, but we, you see these two men, Cleopas, this other individual, they had hoped that he was the one. The one to redeem Israel. The one to save them. But when he died and they didn't see him come back to life, they had lost hope. And so they walked for seven miles, hopeless. I want us to watch this story of someone in our church from our West Sac campus whose life has been transformed by Jesus. Then we're going to close and we're going to go. But I want you to watch this story before we go today. Hey, what's going on? My name is Nicholas Lamb. Been going to Project Church about three years now, just over three years. And it was one of those things where I got a new job and felt it was something I needed. Um, I deal with a lot of dark, negative things at work. I was talking to my wife about, hey, we should go to church. We got a flyer in the mail for the church. And uh, I was like, hey, this looks cool. So why don't we go check it out? So I uh, emailed the website and a guy named Lauren called me. So we talked for a little bit. Told my story, what was going on, and how I was looking for a church. 
towards the end of the conference, she's like, well, and the pastor's there, so it'd be great to see you. So I thought that was really, really cool. So I finally went. So we walked inside and sat down, and, and it was the greatest, most like welcoming feeling. Most welcoming feeling that I had. So here I was sitting in church, never been in church in my life, and started going basically every Sunday. And shortly thereafter, they were doing um, some next steps, which is a way to learn a little bit more about the church. I went through that and again just kept feeling like wow I should be here. This is the place I need to be. Then shortly after they have a baptism. Wow, I've never been baptized. So I went ahead and finally gave my life to Jesus for the first time ever. Still to this day, every time I tell a story, it's get filled with emotion because it means so much to me. I'm so passionate about it. So now, I serve on the team every Sunday. I'm doing our parking and safety. I'm always out front, getting to see the new people that are just like me. Making them feel welcome. That's what I just want to do, because that's what the church said to me. It's made me feel welcome. And I love it. Every single Sunday, walking in, seeing friends, new and old. And it's just been a important part of my life. I'm happy that I give myself to Jesus and can call Project Church my home. My name is Nick Lamb, and I am evidence. Come on. That's what it's about right there. So I want to close right now. You know, verse 33 here, it's an interesting part of the story because Jesus actually reveals himself to them. It says that as they're partaking of the bread, they're eating together, they're having dinner together, their eyes are open and they realize that this man that has walked with them the seven miles and talked to them and taught them that it's Jesus. It says that their eyes are open and that Jesus disappears. Y'all know sometimes that's how Jesus gets down. He can be a little sneaky. Disappears. And then it says that they got up and they went back to Jerusalem. It says they get up immediately and go back to Jerusalem. So when I was a sophomore in high school, I actually played baseball. And I was the worst one on the team, man. I was the last one to make the team. But I made it. I make the team and I'm not really playing, but then a couple knuckleheads on the team got kicked off or something dumb. And then a couple more had bad grades and they got kicked off. So before you know, it's like, Caleb, you, you got to go in. We got nobody else. So they put me out there. I'm in the game. I'm like, sweet. So I start playing. Well, we had a tournament in the middle of the season and now I'm playing more. And we go to this tournament and it was a three-day tournament, three games. And for whatever reason, I don't know, baseball's a weird sport. You can be a great player and yet not do well. And then you can be a not great player and just have crazy things happen. And so over this three-day tournament, I went eight for 10. Had a bunch of RBIs. And was just playing really well. 
And so on Monday, the coach shows up to practice. And he says, Caleb, you made the all-tournament team. And he gives me an award. It's a trophy. All-tournament team. I went from the scrub that never played to the all-tournament team. And let me tell you, I did something, and I don't know what possessed me, and I still remember it to this day. Because as I was doing it, I was even like, what are you doing? But I took my trophy, and I was in our sports complex at our high school, and I ran a victory lap. And the girls were having softball practice, and there were other teams out there playing, and varsity was over here. And and I just ran a lap, and I'm running around the stadium, holding up my trophy, going, I'm all turning! I'm all turning. I'm running. I'm just running. I did a few laps, victory laps. Let me tell you, there was nothing like it. It was a special. I still remember it as I seared in my brain because there's something about victory, isn't there? There's something about it. And so I think about this story and how these men, Cleopas and this other dude, went seven miles with their heads hanging. I picture them seven miles just moseying along. Seven miles, hopeless. Seven miles, defeated. Seven miles, discouraged. And then Jesus shows them that he's alive. Their eyes are open, and it says they get up immediately, and they make the seven-mile trip back. And here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm seeing. I don't think that this was just some mosey seven miles back to Jerusalem. I believe that this was a victory lap. These dudes were running, man. They were going crazy. I mean, it was a, y'all run funny too, like me, right? They were going seven miles. I bet it was the fastest seven miles they had ever run. As they go back in victory, it says they walk in, they go straight to the 11 disciples and they say, it's true. Because y'all know the women had already told them that Jesus was alive. But how many of you know that we men take a little longer to figure out what the women already know? Come on, ladies, give me some. Give me some love for that. We men, we take a little longer. The, li- the ladies, they get it quicker. But they walk into the 11 disciples and they say, it's true. We saw him. He's alive. The seven-mile trip back was nothing like the seven-mile trip to Emmaus. It was nothing like it. Here's what I want to say to you today. This is some of you. You see, resurrection is a round trip. Today is somebody's second seven miles. You came in here defeated. You came in here discouraged. You came in here depressed. You came in here hopeless. But this is your moment. You were in the dark. You felt defeated. You felt disappointed. You took the seven-mile walk of shame up to this point in your life. But it's time to walk the second seven in freedom. This is your turning point. You hear me? Somebody in this place, today is your turning point. Today is your moment of freedom. You're going to say, I'm not staying in Emmaus any longer. I'm not staying in Emmaus. I'm going back to Jerusalem because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I'm here to declare today to Project Church that Jesus is alive. Somebody, today is your day. 
This is your turning point. This is your moment. Your seven mile walk of shame is over. It's time for your seven mile walk of freedom. It's time for your seven mile walk of hope. It's time for your seven mile walk of glory. Resurrection is a round trip. I thought y'all would be more excited today that Jesus is alive. Come on, somebody. Buddy. 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 Buddy.